0: And go with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, our sermon text for today, verses 26 through 56. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation was this. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. And sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. And return with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1, as we continue celebrating the incarnation of our Lord during this Advent season, I want to spend some time this morning looking at Mary. Mary. The mother of the Lord Jesus. I joked a few times this week that we Protestants are a bit Mariaphobic. It's a fancy word I made up to say we're afraid of praising Mary. Because Catholicism has given Mary an idolatrous importance, do we perhaps go a little too far in the opposite extreme? Think about it. Mary would finally be the woman God promised in Genesis 3. All the way back at the fall, she would give birth to the seed who would crush the serpent's head and become the Savior of the world. Through her, as we just sang, deity would forever join himself to humanity. The mother of the Lord Jesus Christ was given the greatest responsibility and the highest honor of any woman in history. So I want us to think a little bit this morning about why did God choose Mary? Yeah, 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 I know the standard answer. He chose her because she was a poor woman, because she was humble, because she was from a village, rather than being rich and powerful from elite society. God was overturning the world's value system Okay, but of all the poor village girls of the tribe of Judah and the line of David, why her? I mean, God didn't do eenie, meeny, miny, mo Mary. Right? God didn't put all the names of all the eligible virgins in a bowl and just close His eyes and pick one. Gabriel says in verse 30, she found favor with God you realize the same thing is said of Noah would you agree that Noah was a bit unique in his day one righteous man who found favor with God so let's look this morning what was it about Mary that pleased the Lord well I think our text suggests that Mary yes was a common village girl but she had some uncommon qualities So first, we're going to look at her uncommon character, and then secondly, her uncommon insight from God's Word. So her uncommon character, and the first character attribute I'd like to point out is her uncommon humility in verses 28 and 29. Pardon the sniffing, tis the season for sinus stuff, right? Her humility in verses 28 and 29. And coming in, Gabriel said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. So in biblical history, occasionally we see angels delivering messages to humans. It's extremely rare to see an angel showing honor to a human and it's also common in scripture that humans respond in fear to their angelic messenger but did you notice it doesn't say mary was afraid of gabriel it says she was perplexed troubled by his greeting now i'm going to spend this morning arguing that she is a young woman of uncommon character and a woman of uncommon scriptural insight And yet, she is beautifully oblivious to her uniqueness. That's humility. (laughs) Several years ago, I remember asking Pastor Conrad Mbewe from Zambia. I said, Conrad, because I have and still continue to struggle with pride at times, I know none of you do, but I was like, Conrad, with all of God's abundant blessing on your ministry... With the growth of your church, with with the dozens of churches that your church has started, with your international recognition as a preacher, how have you stayed so humble? (laughs) Conrad laughed, and he replied with his typical wisdom, Well, I'm not sure how to answer that, Sean. If I knew how humble I was, and if I could tell you how I did it, I probably wouldn't be very humble, would I? Duh. Well, that's Mary. Mary is totally baffled by why the angel would greet her with such high honor. And her interaction with Gabriel begins with humility, but ends with quiet heroism. Look at verse 38 and and her character qualities of faith and courage. Verse 38, Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. So Mary at this point has grasped, I think, Gabriel's explanation that she is about to miraculously conceive through the power of the Holy Spirit and it's going to happen before her marriage to Joseph is consummated. Mary knows what's coming. She knows the social ridicule she is about to face. She is betrothed, and that is far more serious than our engagement today. Betrothal lasted about a year. The couple was already considered married, but she remained in her parents' home while her husband prepared his home for her, and then the marriage was not consummated till after the wedding. So it would be a shameful scandal for her to be pregnant, and she can already hear the whispers of the neighbors. Hey, did you hear Mary's pregnant? I wonder whose kid it is. But worse than the social ridicule, she knows the rejection she may face from Joseph. She can already imagine the look on his face when she tells him she's pregnant will he believe it's a miracle will he believe an angel spoke to her well in fact we know he did not believe her and he planned to divorce her quietly so mary's life is about to get a lot more difficult and yet in extraordinary faith mary fully submits herself to god's will may it be done according to your word One commentator said, that's a great definition of faith. God, may your word, may your difficult word, be a reality in my life. Life's about to get really hard, but Gabriel has said the Lord is with her. And that's enough for Mary. This is going to hurt But God's messenger says this is God's favor on her. And that's enough for Mary. The honor of being God's servant in the birth of His Son outweighed any temporary suffering she might endure. What about us? What about us this morning? When life gets really hard... When the pain goes up another level or it drags on without relenting, is it enough that God has promised to be with us in that painful circumstance? And especially when the suffering increases because we've obeyed the Lord. Is it enough for us that He says this is His favor on us? And does our final destiny of honor and immortality forever outweigh in our thoughts and our priorities any dishonor we must endure now. Back in June of 1859, a French acrobat by the name of Charles Blondin walked across the Niagara Gorge on a tightrope. It was 1,100 feet across that gorge. The rope was 160 feet above the water. But he didn't just do it once. Over the next couple of months, he repeated the stunt, each time adding some sensational variation. He did it blindfolded. He did it on stilts. (laughs) He pushed a wheelbarrow across. So a couple of months later, in August, he began his act by asking the crowd if they believed he could carry a man on his back across Niagara Gorge. And of course, the crowd cheered, And then Blondine began asking man after man if he volunteered to get on his back. (laughs) And you can imagine what happened. If you and I were in the crowd, each man laughed and declined. But finally a man said he would do it. It was actually Blondine's manager, Harry Colcord. And sure enough, Blondine carried him on his back safely across Niagara Gorge, all 1,100 feet on that tightrope. It's one thing to believe Blondine could do it. It's another thing to climb on his back. And it's one thing to say, yes, I believe God could use a common teen village girl not yet married to be the mother of God's son. But Mary was willing to say, okay, I'll be the one. But in Mary's heart and in Mary's mind, that's the only possible response. Because not only is she uncommonly humble and have uncommon faith and courage, but she has a wholehearted submission to God. Look again at verse 38. How does she begin as she submits to the Lord? Mary said, "...behold the bondslave of the Lord." may it be done to me according to your word again in her song later in verse 48 for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave the greek literally is slave girl of the lord that's mary's identity that's how she saw herself in relation to her god slave girl The Apostle Paul often described himself the same way as the slave of the Lord. Even James, the half-brother of Jesus, in his letter does not introduce himself as James, the brother of the Lord, but James, the slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary had already a disposition of total submission to God's will. When he spoke, she obeyed. What about us? Do you and I see ourselves as the slaves of God? That our one duty in life is to know and do the will of our Master? Are our hearts already inclined to obey when He speaks? Or do we have to consider it? Do we deliberate on the pros and cons of obedience? Not Mary. She sees herself as the slave girl of the Lord. And that is not degrading to her. The dignity of a slave is in the dignity of the master they serve. And is there a better master than the kind? Sorry, there's no higher master. Jumping ahead of myself. The dignity of the slave is in the dignity of the master. No higher master than the creator and ruler of the universe. What a high honor to serve him. And the blessing of the slave is in the goodness of the master. Is there a better master than the kind and compassionate and generous God? So for Mary, this is not cold obedience to a master she fears. No, this is willing, eager submission to a master she trusts and to a master she enjoys. Look at the first word of her song in verse 46 and mary said my soul exalts the lord and my spirit has rejoiced in god my savior another quality of mary that makes her stand out is her delight in god her delight in god my soul and my spirit her entire inner being the core of who mary is delights in god and gladly gives him glory Hmm. do you see why god might choose her mary's chief purpose in life matches the first question and answer of the shorter westminster catechism she exists to glorify and enjoy god forever You know, it's not hard to submit to a God when our soul delights in Him. And it's not as hard to suffer when what our soul delights in is God. Now, Mary speaks or sings this as she arrives at Elizabeth's home. Why has Mary come to stay with Elizabeth for three months? Well, I'm sure for mutual encouragement in their mutual circumstances, miraculous circumstances, but also likely to escape the scandal back home. People will be gossiping. Her fiance is doubting. She'll be called an adulteress. But what is Mary doing? Rejoicing in God. So when we see the evidence of Mary's humility and her faith and her courage, when we see her wholehearted submission to God and delight in God, we can see, I hope, why I would say her character is a bit uncommon. But she's also a young lady of uncommon insight. Verses 46 to 55, in my translation, they're written... In poetic form, this this song of Mary is called the Magnificat. It is so rich in Old Testament doctrine that liberal scholars refuse to accept that a simple village girl like Mary could have spoken it. That's pretty condescending, right? If that simple village girl knew her scriptures... Is she not capable of profound insight into the character and the ways of God? You know, it's interesting. We're told in verse 41 that when Elizabeth greeted Mary, she was filled with the Holy Spirit and she cried out. But verse 46 doesn't say that Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit. It just says she spoke. She said it. So where does this profound song come from? Mary has been meditating on specific Old Testament Scriptures and applying them to her situation. She had some time to meditate on the four days from her home to Elizabeth's. And she rejoices first of all in the great things God has done for her and then in the great things God is doing for His people. And this song makes it clear that Mary has profound insight into, first of all, God's character. God's character. Several things she notes about His character. First of all, He's holy in verse 49. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. Well, that's a pretty good place to start, isn't it? She starts where the seraphims start as they behold God's glory. Holy, holy, holy. Completely separate from all His creation is our God. Completely pure and perfect. But not only is God holy, Mary knows He is merciful. The next verse, verse 50. And His mercy is upon generation after generation. Mary listened as God proclaimed His character to Moses at Sinai, that He is gracious and compassionate and patient and abounding in forgiveness. Yes, God is holy, but He offers forgiveness and He extends mercy to whom? The second part of verse 50, toward those who fear Him. Toward those who will humble themselves before His holiness and acknowledge their need of mercy. Do you see Mary's healthy, balanced understanding of God? Some of us just naturally view God as harsh and unforgiving. Others of us, maybe most of us, tend to view Him as soft and tolerant. But Mary knew her Bible. And she knew that God was both holy and merciful which meant that God has to resolve a problem. The problem of our sin against His holiness without perverting His justice in the showing of mercy. So notice how she refers to God. Verse 47. My soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary is very aware That God is holy, and she is not. That God is merciful, and she needs it. And it seems that she has been particularly meditating on the saving work of God. She only quotes from two psalms in this song, directly quoting. The whole song, of course, is biblical in its content. But in verse 50, she quotes from Psalm 103 that we read earlier which speaks of God's compassion and grace and patience and kindness, pardoning our iniquities, working our redemption, removing our transgression as far as the east from the west. And then in verse 53, she quotes from Psalm 107. Another beautiful psalm, I wish we had time to read it, that recounts God's discipline on those who repel And then His deliverance from distress when they cry to Him. I'm sure Mary did not fully understand how, but she understood that somehow the son she carried in her womb was God's deliverance from our mess of sin. She understood that God was her Savior and ours. She also understood that God is powerful, Look at verse 49, the beginning. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Again in verse 51, he has done mighty deeds with his arm. Mary believed God's mighty power to do great things for those who trust him. Maybe that's why, although she's troubled by Gabriel's greeting, although she's confused how a virgin can get pregnant, she didn't doubt Gabriel's message like Zacharias did earlier in Luke 1. It's easier to submit when she trusted God's power to work mightily for His people, and when she trusted His character as a promise keeper the other thing she understood about god's character he keeps his promises verse 44 and 45 or 54 55 he has given help to israel his servant in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to abraham and his descendants forever mary understood she was carrying in her womb the fulfillment of all god's promises going all the way back to abraham Through your descendant, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. She is carrying the fulfillment of all the promises through the prophets that God would send a Messiah who would shine light in the darkness, who would heal the hurting, provide mercy for sinners, and set the captives free. Mary had uncommon insight into her God's character. But secondly, she understood God's values. God's values. Look at the second half of her song in verses 50-53. to And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. Now what's up with this? Is Mary's prejudice coming out? Does the poor village girl from the hills think that God should judge all the rich and powerful? (laughs) Is Mary one of the first social justice warriors? Well, are all the rich and all political rulers evil? pay very careful attention to how Mary begins this section of her song. She's not talking about several groups of people, political rulers, rich, poor, hungry. She's talking about two groups of people. Just two. Verse 50, his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those Who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. Do you see the contrast? This is not socioeconomic classes. There are those who fear God, and there are those who are proud in their heart. Then she contrasts rulers with the humble, rich with the hungry, but don't take that too literally. Not all rulers are evil, but those who use power to oppress. And you know what? Some poor people are evil. So the humble are not just the poor, but those with a submissive spirit to God. And not all rich people are evil. And Mary's not talking about literal, physical hunger. How do I know that? Verse 53. He has filled the hungry with with what? With food? No. It says with good things. Good things, not food. The rich have food but they're still empty. She's talking about a spiritual hunger and a satisfaction in God. Those who hunger for God will be filled with His goodness. Those who are rich in their own eyes, self-satisfied, don't need God, will eventually feel their emptiness. Do you see, through Mary's meditation on the Scriptures, she sees a clear distinction between two kinds of people representing two ways of life, and she understands how God evaluates both. God rejects the proud, the powerful, the prosperous, those who trust in themselves and see no need for God. And God rewards the reverent, the humble, the hungry, who forget about themselves and seek God. Which one are you this morning? are you proud and independent feeling no need for God Then you're destined for his rejection emptiness and sorrow for eternity are you humble are you hungry for God then you are accepted by him and you are destined for eternal satisfaction beyond our wildest imagination Now, when you hear this part of Mary's song, does it sound like any of the teaching of her son? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. Do you see what Mary sings ever reflected in the ministry of her son? Do you ever see Jesus scattering or sending away, empty, someone who is humble? Someone who is hungry? It doesn't matter if it's an immoral woman or a hated tax collector. Jesus is kind and gentle and merciful to those who feel their need of God. On the other hand, there was a rich man who wouldn't give up his wealth to follow Christ. And Jesus let him walk away empty. And Jesus at least verbally scattered the powerful Pharisees, so proud, so self-sufficient. Let me encourage you moms for a minute. Flip the page to Luke chapter 2, verses 51 and 52. And Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing, growing in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. We so easily forget that, right? We forget that Jesus was not only fully God, he was also fully God. Human and the human boy, Jesus, learned from his parents just like any other child. He learned the scriptures, he learned about his heavenly father from his parents. And in Jesus' younger childhood, before he started learning his father's trade, he would have spent much time in the home with Mary. And then by the time Jesus began his ministry as an adult, have you ever noticed there's no mention of Joseph in the Gospels? Only Mary and his brothers and sisters. So Joseph at this point has most likely died. It could have been in Jesus' teen years, his young adult years. By the way, total aside note, but for those of us who lost a parent in our younger years, Jesus knows, Jesus understands that pain. So anyway, it's not much of a stretch to suppose that much of what young Jesus learned about His Heavenly Father's character and values He learned from His mom. So when you listen to the Sermon on the Mount, when you hear Jesus harshly condemn the proud hypocritical Pharisees, yes, Jesus was taught by His Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit, but I think you can also hear the heart of His mom coming out. Moms, especially you moms of little ones, you've got a tough job trying to herd those little depraved heathens all day long and hold it all together. And yeah, there's a lot of sweet moments, isn't there? But it's exhausting too. But what a noble calling to instruct those little minds about the character of God. That He is holy and merciful and powerful and He keeps His promises. And above all, He's the Savior they need. And to try to instill in those little hearts the values of God, that He hates pride and self-sufficiency and He rewards humility and hunger for Him. And to try to instill in those stubborn little wills a disposition that trusts God. And submits to Him. Oh, may the Lord grant persevering grace in such a glorious task. And may the Lord help us, like Mary, to study His Word intently, as she did, that we might better know His character and know His values, so that we might more fully delight in Him and more freely trust Him and submit to Him. Well, it is fitting that we would close this sermon with the taking of the Lord's Supper. Because as much as we may admire Mary's character and her courage, she's not the heroine of the story. Her son is the hero. God with us. Come to save His people from their sins. He is the wisdom of God to satisfy His justice so that He could show mercy to sinners. Now in observing this ordinance, we we commemorate His first coming, the taking of our flesh to be our substitute. And just as He came the first time, we anticipate His second coming to consummate His work of salvation, to reign over His creation. This is a celebration of Christ's saving work for all who are trusting in Him, and it is only for those who are fully trusting in Him. If you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, then this supper is not for you today. But Christ can be yours today. If you would see your sin before a holy God, you would see your need of a Savior. If you would trust His offer of mercy through the death of His Son, you too can have full pardon. You too can have eternal life today. And even for those of us who are trusting in Christ, please remember the Apostle Paul cautions against just going through the motions flippantly but to take in a worthy manner. Are we using this time to, to meaningfully contemplate Christ's death for us? And all that it means for us. Are we resolved, not perfectly, but as a pattern of life, to walk in humble submission to Him? And do we recognize the family nature of this meal, that it is to be taken Not only by members of this church, but to be taken by those who are walking in love and unity with a local church body of Christ. In a moment I'm going to pray, and then after that, musicians will come and play. And as they're playing, you're welcome to come and to partake. Then make your way back to your seat, and when everyone is done, we will stand and sing together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise You today for the greatest act of humility ever done. That You, perfect deity, would take on our humanity. Give up the perfection of heaven, the praise of angels, to take on weak human flesh, To walk among us in a world of sin. Father, we thank You that You gave Your Son and that He was willing to come to overcome sin and all of its dreadful consequences. That He was willing to take on the form of a servant and to humble Himself even to death. The despised and shameful death on a cross under Your wrath to satisfy Your justice, that we might be fully pardoned. That You raised Him from the dead, that we might be given eternal life. And the power to live and to walk in that newness of life. Oh, Father, I pray that everyone hearing my voice this morning has known Christ already as their Savior, but the reality is some here have not. And I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Oh God, may our hearts be warmed as we celebrate this commemoration of all that Christ has done to save us. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.